As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio. Special Operations Military News and Straight Talk with the Guys in the Community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Soft Rep Radio. Soft Rep Radio on time, on target. I'm your host today, Steve Balistrieri. We have a very special guest joining us. He's already on the line with us right now. We have Mike Hayes, former commander of SEAL Team 2. Mike has had a tremendously <laughs> experienced, uh, unlike most of the other special operators you, you'll uh, meet or talk to, um, Mike's done it all. I mean, he was boots on the ground as a Navy SEAL. He's, you know, uh, he's done his time in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's been held at gunpoint, threatened with execution in South America. I mean, jumped out of a building, getting ready to explode. He's done so many different things. And he's also run White House Situation Room meetings and helped us uh, negotiate a treaty. I mean, he's done it all. He's just recently written a book called Never Enough. And 
it was a fascinating read because there's so many different stories in there that I think will resonate with all of our listeners. But before we get into all that, we want to welcome Mike to the podcast. Mike, thank you for taking the time this morning with us. We really appreciate you uh, joining us here on Soft Rep Radio. Steve, thank you for having me and thank you for this incredible mission that, that you and Soft Rep Radio support. This is the most uh, special community that our, our nation has. We have lots of really incredible people in the soft community and nothing is nearer and dearer to my heart. And the opportunity to spend time together today is, is really exciting. Yeah, you know, it's funny because reading your book and I, I went back through it again and I was scribbling notes all over the place. My desk is full of little scribbled notes on there. So many of the things that you write about, it goes straight across the soft community. It doesn't matter whether you're an Army Ranger, Army Green Beret, a Navy SEAL, Air Force Pararescue guys. I think, you know, the things that you write about and the things that were important to you and, and to the SEAL community definitely resonate with everyone. I mean, I don't think there's anything in there that's strictly, oh, this is just a SEAL type thing. This is all of our special ops guys, I think, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, all of those things that you write about, I think is important to all the communities. Well, no, thank you. I, Steve, I wrote never enough because, you know, and everything that I've seen and done, whether, you know, military, government, three companies in the private sector, I just kept coming across the same kinds of principles that can help everyone, you know, people, organizations uh, in the country to be better. Uh, the goal is, you know, lifting up individuals and helping those individuals to lift up others, the, the organizations and the people in their lives and, and just help all of us come together and make a better country. This same exact mission that the soft community lives and breathes. So the big thing that, like you said, is, is no matter your role or your place in life, your skills and your talents, you know, I just think everybody can make such a difference. I'll tell you, you know, my SEAL training class, just like, like Mo, started with 120 guys and 19 graduated. And the, the truth is, like, when you finish SEAL training when you're 21 or 19 or whatever you are, you feel really, like, extremely special. And, and you are, but the thing is, we're, we're no more special than many, many people across the SOF and the greater DOD community. And I think the faster that we learn that, that really it's one team and one community, uh, the, the, the faster our trajectory to success. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because, again, reading some of your stories, you know, I can draw some parallels when you talk about being miserable. And, and then one of the guys in your class just burst out laughing and it resonated through the entire, uh, you know, buds class that you were in. I remember much of the same thing, what we used to call the sawdust pit and they used to fill it with water. Same thing happened in our class. They were trying to make us miserable. And then one guy starts laughing uncontrollably. And the next thing you know, we're all laughing. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's some of those things that, you know, you, you, rem you forgot about, but then as I'm reading the book, I was like, oh man, I, that strikes a nerve. I remember doing that same thing myself. So well, that I, was, <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Steve, you keep going. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm good. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, it is all about laughter, right? Our, our job is so darn serious that that the most fun podcast would probably be getting a bunch of people on here and talking about the best practical jokes that they've ever played. That would be massively entertaining. Uh, you know, you do, you do talk about the, the two people that I wrote about actually in my book are two classmates from buds in different situations that, that made us laugh. 
you know, one of them was my first roommate in the SEAL teams, Commander Joe Price, a fabulous human being who commanded the SEAL team behind me and then took his own life overseas, you know, actually in the bed that I slept in the previous 10 months over in uh, Terran Kaut, Afghanistan. Terribly tragic and difficult story. It's a still story that many people on here know about from uh, both both personally and uh, situationally with we, we all know people who struggle and and then uh, the other side of that coin, the, one of the other people who, who made us laugh uncontrollably was my swim buddy from SEAL training, Chris Cassidy, who later became an astronaut and is, an, is a superhuman being and a super friend and and uh, just wonderful, both wonderful individuals. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what makes the classes go. I mean, we had, you know, I, I, you know, dating myself, but back when I went through SF training, we had a guy when we were doing our land navigation training, which is a big part of SF, and it it's where a lot of guys fall by the wayside. So we're out there. It's really hot. And this guy puts a poncho over his head, cuts two eye holes out, and runs butt naked through the woods before we <laughs> get ready to start. And he's calling himself Captain Camouflage, that he's going to guide everyone to their points. <laughs> and our whole class just cracked up laughing we're literally rolling on the ground our instructors were just like you know usually they're you know no nonsense you know it's the same thing as in bloodstream they're they're you know they're, they're cracking on you the whole time and these guys just couldn't keep a straight face they're like that guy ain't wired right but you know you need that kind of guy in that you know in your class and Absolutely. i think it took a lot of the the stress away from people because he did that and then you know we got ready we went out and we had a lot of guys pass the first time which doesn't usually happen in sf training so uh you know you, you need that i think uh people don't realize that aren't in the military community that sometimes humor is a huge weapon on your side well it's i couldn't agree more and you know that wonderful human joe price had this infectious laughter and i'll re never forget in SEAL training, he and I were both uh, pull-up challenged. You know, buds, just like every challenging, you know, course, Q course, Ranger School, et cetera. While I haven't been through those, I certainly know there's a lot of suffering and misery in all of the foundational training classes. But I remember on a Saturday, Job and I went to do pull-ups just to try to get better at them. I'm, you know, 6'4", 230, and definitely far from God's gift to the pull-up bar. But I remember being on pull-up like number one and a half or two and struggling already and just looking across at Job and he was already laughing at me because I was so bad. And it was just like, how, how can you ever really worry about not being able to do that many pull-ups when you just have somebody <laughs> laughing that infectiously? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because, again, you know, when reading that about the pull-ups, if I mean, after my military career, I was working uh, as a security guy on a, on a Hollywood film. And, uh, you know, there was some uh, British Royal Marine commandos who were working for, uh, you know, bodyguarding for some of the stars and, uh, and, and SAS type guys. And we were all talking one day at lunch and the star of the film, Matt Damon, we were t talking to him and we were all talking about all the pull-ups we used to have to do because the bridge was the same as we are. And so Matt was like, how many pull-ups you guys have to do? So we had a pull-up bar behind his trailer on the set. And he was up there and he, he was actually in really good shape. He was knocking them out. And then one of the Brits said, you know, you're making some really nice faces there, Matt. You ever think about branching out into porn? And that's when he almost broke his jaw. <laughs> his jaw hit the bar. <laughs> you know, and it, it, again, 
reading the book, but uh, that's what you know immediately came to mind. So, uh, well, but anyway, well, um, the pull up's like a metaphor for for large for life beyond training and in just life more broadly, right? It's whether it's the pull up bar, or the obstacle course, or or the misery. It's just how do you learn how to stretch yourself beyond your limits, and then most importantly, not just make your limits uh, you know more and more capable, but but to learn how to live at that at that edge in that in that uncomfortable zone, if you will, and, and and be able to remain calm and logical and still influence and inspire and make solid decision making. And and so I just think that you know I joke around the L and SEAL stands for lazy. Um, you know, we, we we find by definition sometimes the easiest way to go do things, not because we're our DNA is cutting corners, but because our DNA is thinking about how do we preserve energy for the next thing that we're gonna need to go do. And, and I think that there are so many lessons that, that really end up carrying over to all of, all of life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was, you know, that segues perfect into, uh, into the book itself, because, you know, part of what special operations does, and you talk about it in the Navy SEALs, it takes guys farther than they ever thought they could go. And you talk about that in the book. And I thought that was a very important piece of it. Because it, I think that carries into the civilian world. A lot of people don't realize their true potential because they're used to operating in a comfortable environment. And, and the way you worded this in the book, I thought was very important. Can you fill our listeners in a little bit about that and, and taking, you know, candidates wherever, be it in the SEALs or, you know, in the civilian world and taking them past that comfort zone? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is, like I was saying a little bit a couple of minutes ago, is, is really the foundational metaphor for life. It's, um, it's how, you, how you stay grounded and, and able to influence other people when you get uncomfortable. And we do that, obviously, in training situations as best we can so that, you know, everybody who's many of your listeners have been through, you know, Ranger School, Q course, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 um, and, and all of us, I guarantee, have experienced harder situations in real life than we did in training. But a lot of that confidence comes from being stretched earlier in life and, and knowing that you're going to see different situations. It's, it's kind of like in planning. You know, a lot of us say, oh, well, you know, we never, the, the, never end up surviving. You know, a good plan never survives first contact with the enemy. But, you know, in the soft community, we're already a step ahead of that because we're already planning for the plan to change. You know, in the civilian world, I hear a lot of, you know, banks and, and technology organizations, et cetera, say, well, we have a playbook for that. You know, when, when X happens, we know that we're going to go do Y. The, and one of the concepts that I think is really important is, is agility, Steve. It's, it's understanding that you can't go write 100 or 1,000 playbooks for all the situations that are going to come at us. And so what's important is just have that one meta playbook, which is really a, just a playbook on how to create the playbook that you need in the moment. That's what the soft community really knows how to do. It's work backward. First, define an outcome you want to achieve, right? And then you think about that's, that's kind of like vision, where you're going. And then you get into the strategy. We've got 10 or 100 different ways that we could go achieve the aforementioned outcome. How do you identify the, all of the risk associated with those different paths to achieve that outcome? And then pick the most risk-adjusted path so that you don't take unnecessary risk and put our, our people in situations that they don't have to be in in order to achieve the outcome. And then you go execute 
But then, Steve, to me, the, the most important thing is how do you reassess that vision, that strategy, and that execution constantly? One more th sentence on this. When I was growing up, I came into the SEALs in 1993, you know, long before 9-11. You know, there were, yeah, there were some you know, older warrant officers and master chiefs and, and experienced folks that had lessons from the past, but there wasn't that much combat experience relative to what there was increasingly post 9-11 in the SEALs. When I came in, it was very much, you get the mission done at all costs. But then you know, pretty early on in the war, the entire soft community figured out that sometimes the right thing to do is to take that new information, work it back into the system and say, hey, you know what? Tonight, at the, given this new information, we actually don't need to go hit this target. We can back off and wait for another time and, op and, and demonstrate patience. And, um, and that's the maturity that I think really came through a lot of the post 9-11 uh, combat era. Yeah, and uh, you know, again, the book is f filled with, you know, examples of this and, and I, I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. It's called Never Enough. And also, you have an audio book as part of this as well, right? I, I do. I recorded it myself too. It wasn't one of the big questions. They're like, do you want a professional to go re read this for you or do you want to do it yourself? And, you know, I'll tell you, a friend of mine, Jason Redmond, has a couple books out. Jason J. Redmond was in, uh, in in a task unit with me in Iraq when when he it's a, a guy who was uh, shot on a mission in 2007 in, in Karma, Iraq, and multi shot multiple times. Wonderful, two wonderful books, and uh, Overcome and The Trident. And you know, I sat, I was on one of my highfalutin business trips. I was going from New York to Zurich, you know, sitting in first class. The the, the stewardess comes by and, you know, the big decision is champagne or orange juice. And, you know, I had my headphones on and I, I heard Jay start recounting his story, which, of course, I, I know intimately. I've heard it a million times. But sitting like having a little bit of time pass between now and then, I, I just sat in first class with tears streaming down my face and I, inexplicably. I, and, and I just it was just so powerful to hear his voice retelling that story and what was going through his mind when he was when he got shot and and what was happening with his teammates and and I thought to myself about the bonds that we had and and what it is that makes somebody move forward in a gunfight. I wrote two silver stars for that that operation and both individuals received them and there was a lot of of difficulty and a lot of heroism on on that particular night just like there were many many different nights and um Anyways, the point I was trying to make is that the power of reading and listening to your own words and work, I thought was incredible with Jay. And that's what inspired me actually to read my own book. How difficult was that to, to record the audio book? I mean, I know myself, I would have to do it a hundred times before I got it right. Um, but how difficult was that? I mean, I know it's your own words, but to, you know, to read the book without any, uh, you know, alibis, I guess yeah. it would be. <laughs> well, yeah, first of all, don't give me too much credit because there was a lot of rewinding. So there were plenty <laughs> of alibis. The, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I, I uh, have a place on a lake up in New Hampshire. I went up where it was totally quiet. And then the, 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 the funny is the first thing is figuring out how do you set up all this home equipment in, in order to get it to work? I've got one of those e-foils by Lyft. You know, it's, you get, it's a, a, an electric surfboard, basically. Great fun. But it was the only thing I had that, that I could actually balance the, the microphone on. So if you would have seen a picture of the home setup that I had recording the thing, you would think I was a complete junior varsity at best. And, and um, you know, but, but when it actually came to the recording, 
Look, it, two things. Number one is it was harder in the beginning because you get in the flow. It's kind of like when you haven't been diving or jumping or shooting for for a little bit of bit, and you you know you just get back at that trait or that that trade that you know. Look, the, the first few minutes or something, or the first few hours or whatever it is, you're kind of getting back into the swing of things. It took me probably a good hour or two to really get into the flow, and um, and then I'll be honest, I, what I struggled with with the book was how open to be. You know, I didn't write a, I never. I'm not a person that seeks any sort of limelight. I, I really, really, uh, really enjoy seeing others be successful. And so I really struggled with whether, with how to, how to reconcile A, being passionate about sharing things that I've learned, and then B, kind of not seeking the limelight. And, and those are really irreconcilable. You have to prioritize one or the, over the other. And it took me a while to finally say, you know, I'm going to share what I've learned. So I also decided that I would open up about a few different things in the book, different stories or different thoughts, whether it was, you know, some, you know, waking up way too many early, more early on a few on mornings where I'm thinking about, you know, dozens of friends that I've buried or, or, or things that I could have done that maybe could have saved different people from, 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 uh, from that fate or, or just more that I could be doing. And, um, and so anyways, I just really, I really ultimately hit a few spots in the book where it was a little bit hard to read as well. And because um, I, I wrote the words, but when you actually read them out loud, it's, it's, um, it's both fun and difficult. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, again, you know, hats off to you because um, writing a book is not an easy thing and, uh, and then doing it audio and recording. And by the way, uh, your publisher did send me that picture with your surfboard. So I did see that because I was like, <laughs> is that a surfboard? Because he said, make sure you ask Mike about, you know, his recording of this. Oh, that's and, so uh, funny. I didn't, I didn't know that was part of the prep material. <laughs> yeah, because so. yeah, he sent me a picture of that. And I was like, that's the same thing you just said. I mean, I was like, what in the hell is that? Is that a surfboard? He has his uh, microphone on. But now now we know. So that's uh, that's amazing. But uh, yeah, yeah when you talk when you talk in your book about leadership and i think that's like this is the i think the the most interesting part of it one of the quotes you had about uh from george washington was one that i had never seen before and i i'm an avid reader of history and uh when you talk about leadership and it comes with discipline and and, and the george washington quote i'm going to read it here because i have never heard this one and uh, i think it goes right to the crux of everything discipline is the soul of an army it makes small numbers formidable it procures success to the weak and esteem to all and i think that hits it right on the head because you know when when you're talking about special operations people we're, we're dealing with small numbers our guys and i don't know if our Listeners are, or I'm sure most of them are, but some of them may not be aware that when our guys go into combat in today's world, they're almost always outnumbered. And, you know, it, the two things that separate us from our adversaries is we have the, the discipline and leadership that allows our guys to be successful. So, you know, getting into the leadership part of it, I thought was a really, uh, best part of the book as far as i was concerned and, and, and then again it carries forward and you talked about leaders learn authority by giving it away 
And could you explain that to our listeners a little bit? I'd love to, Steve. Uh, before I do, if I could just make one more point on the why I wrote the book, just to bring to sure. life for the for the for the group. Look, I, I would never profit. I just couldn't profit on something that uh, that I was bringing to the world based on my my own past in the seals. And so, one of the things I also did was started a five hundred one c three, a nonprofit organization that very quietly and confidentially pays off mortgages for Gold Star soft families. And so I'm in the process of, of paying off a, a, my fifth, our fifth mortgage with uh, both, you know, help from me and help from a few really generous friends, just trying to quietly make positive impact in the world. You know, the name of the organization is the 1162 Foundation, which, as people know, is the, the date that Kennedy started both the, the SEALs and the Green Berets. And the, um, the only thing you'll find if you do some really deep Google searching is buried deep in a, a one corner of the IRS's website, you'll see our, our, tax, our, our official paperwork. But the reason that I did that was because all, the, all my profits from this book are going to that 501c3. And that's why for me, writing this book is a mission. This isn't just like get, get, the, get the book out there, get the lessons out there. It's, I'm trying to create really one of those win, win, win type of situations. And that's why I'm really passionate about trying to get this out there, raise awareness and get the support for the, for not just the book, but for the community writ large. Um, so th thanks for letting me work that in. Um, I'll give you a second if you have any questions or anything on that, and then I'll come back to your leadership question. Yeah. Um, so if any of our listeners would like to, uh, or readers from SoftRep would like to uh, uh, donate to this foundation, uh, is there a website they can go on? You know, Steve, there's not. I don't have a website. I don't take pictures after we do nice things for people and put it up on a website. I just quietly help. So I think the, if somebody did want to help, the best thing to do would be proliferate the book, help get the book out there, help get the word out there. But if somebody really is passionate about, about helping, then you can hit me up on LinkedIn and send me a, a message. Absolutely. Well, so I, I, I encourage all of our listeners to do that. Well, thank you. Now back to the, the Washington quote and leadership. I, I also think that that's very true and moving. Look, discipline is what this community is all about, right? It's, it starts from, you know, setting your alarm clock in the morning and make in, in, in getting out of bed before you normally would have, if you didn't set that alarm, how do you lean into things that are, are not your first choice to go do and put others before self. That's what that's what this community is all about. And so the, the word discipline can mean so many things because on its face, you could think, oh, well, somebody did something wrong and they get disciplined. Well, yeah, true. However, comma, I really think of that quote with Washington is the very holistic and broadest interpretation of the world, the word discipline and what does that mean? And then, you know, yeah, the soft community, sure, we're outnumbered sometimes, but but I also like to say that our job is to never fight fair. How do we make sure that in the mission planning process, we are stacking the deck in our favor? Of course, most of us worked, at, we, we, we do better at night. We do better with lasers and technology and all of these different things that we have, not just to mitigate risk, but to, to make us overwhelm the, the, uh, the situation so that we can make great decisions and, and again, not have to expose our people to the unnecessary risk and find that that easiest best path to to drive to drive toward the outcome and and you know when you talk about leadership and now now you're carrying it into the civilian world as you said you're you know involved with different companies you know what's the benefit i, I know civilians will ask 
you know, what's the benefit a corporation can glean from the lessons learned, you know, that, you know, from your service or anyone's service in that matter? Great question. The, the most important thing for military service is to understand how to abstract out what you're actually doing. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You know, when we finish these operations that seem like they could have been the front page of a newspaper, we don't spend all, any time talking about what went well. As this community knows very well, we talk about, we spend our time on what didn't go well. 
because that's where the highest return on the investment of our time is. And so with and that, which is also discipline, right? Because you can spend, you know, 99% of your time talking about what didn't go well. And at the same time, be really, really awesome. And so how do you keep people from conflating how we do overall with, uh, with the time that we're talking about potential improvement? So I think that what's important is to abstract out what I like to say is how we think. I like to help people think, uh, we, leaders teach people how to think, not what to think. And so when we're coming off that operation and in, in that debrief or hot wash or whatever, you know, whatever we call it, you know, you, you, we could have a conversation that sounds like, hey, dummy, you came out of the building and you turned left, you know, and, and, and then you should have turned right. Well, that, that's not that helpful of a conversation. What you really want to do is say, hey, when you came out of the building and you turned left, what is it that you were seeing? What is it that you were thinking that made you turn left? Because, you know, that, that setup in that, whether it's some remote village or in training or wherever, no two operations are going to be identical. So what we need to do is help people understand the principles around why they turned left. In other words, the how they think. And, and so then what you can do, if you have that conversation at the level of the deeper why, now that's going to be replicable to the next operation and the operation after that and the operation after that and to the, all of the people in the room. Because then everybody, when, when people spend their mental energy on thinking about the how instead of the what, that's where you make the greatest progress. So those, it, those types of, of abstractions are what also, pardon me, would also carry over into the civilian world. Like I'm no longer making decisions on, on whether to, to clear a 500 pound JDAM to be dropped. I'm making decisions around, you know, do, do we do a large deal at what price? Or do we hire this person? You know, what's our strategy? How are we going to organize? What are we going to spend our time on? But these are all the exact same decisions in the private sector, just that take a little bit different form or fashion. But fundamentally, it's all the same. It's like I said in the, when I opened up on why I wrote the book, it's because across the military and the government and the private sector, there is way, way, way more in common than there is different. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're talking about leadership, I, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about the civilian world, but it still starts and ends with the people that you surround yourself with, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and also recognizing that we're all a little bit different because we all have different skills and abilities and interests. And that's, that's what makes us great. The, the last thing that we want is a group of exact same, uh, you know, attributes in a room. We want to be able to draw on the people who have different skills and 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 uh, and abilities. So with that, that's what that's what ultimately makes us stronger. And so with that, you you think about decision making, and you know you want to surround yourself with people who can see in your blind spots and have a culture that where people feel comfortable raising up and saying, "Hey, boss, you know, I I think you're missing something." And then you can have that conversation and say, oh, you know what, I either am or I'm not, but let's talk about that. And, and, that's, and that's how you make sure that you're like when you're trading markets, if you're about to put a, a, a million or a hundred million or a billion dollar trade on, then, you know, you, what do you do you want to make sure that you're not missing something? Absolutely. That's no different than, you know, the standing up in in Terran Kaut, Afghanistan, when a 21 year old SEAL says, it says to his troop commander, hey, boss, you know, I, I think we're, there's a better way to do this. Absolutely, you want that information. So how do you surface those signals that have to be considered so that you don't make a bad decision? Yeah, and that, that's one of the, you know, 
I think one of the interesting things that about special ops across the board is that, you know, there's a lot more open dialogue, I think, than the rest of the military, because even though some, like you said, a guy on his first mission, uh, you know, he might not have the experience that, you know, his, his, his leaders might have, but he still has the, the intelligence to be able to say, Hey, you know, I just saw something that maybe we should take a look at and guys will listen to that. And I think that's, um, that's one of the tenets of special ops. I think, you know, people come first and I think one of the hardest things is getting people in the civilian world, I should say, because I've, I've had experience in that since I've been out is how to get people to buy in and how to get people to follow. And I think that's part of what your book talks about. It does. And, and so staying with that theme, it's thinking about the intersection of, of a couple things. When I hire people, what I like to talk about are three circles. It's what gives you energy. It's what are you good at and what does the business need? The only acceptable solution is the solution that threads the middle of all three of those circles. If we're, if you go get a job, uh, something that you're good at, but doesn't give you energy and it is what the business needs, it, it's, it's going to, it's not going to work over the long run. And so part of it is helping tease out what gives people the, the, um, the passion, the energy on how they're going to, going to contribute to the world. You know, I've, I've helped a lot of transitioning people from, from government, from DOD. And a common theme that I hear is, Hey, I just want to be in a special organization that continues to have mission and meaning. You know, like, absolutely. And at the same time, that's not good enough of a statement to transact on. It's, in, it's, it's true and insufficient. And so the thing is, how do you help people tease out what they're looking for? And I think there are really at the essence, really just three types of roles in the private sector. There's, you know, say an investor, people who you know, take money from, uh, from other sources and, and invest it to make other money. There's advisors, you know, people who, who, who teach and tell people how to do a job better. And then there's operators. And I don't mean operator in the classic soft operator definition. I mean operator as in you're going to operate a, a part of a business or a part of a business. And it's kind of a line function, if you will, not a staff function. And so, you know, if you, and then from there, understanding how to map into what you like. Like, for example, a, a COO in an organization is like the three. You know, a chief strategy officer is like the five, a CIO is like the six, you know, and so how do you connect like and I could go on and on, but like, how do you figure out what you want to be in a civilian organization is um, it takes experience to understand the mapping. And that's where it's, it's no fault of anybody who's spent 20 or 30 or, or less years in service. We don't get we don't get the reps in the gym in order to say, well, gosh, how do I map? And that's where it, there are some really great. 501c3s and in organizations that will help people map what the what their abilities and interests are into the needs of a business but i think from the receiving end it's also on people like me to help other key business leaders and people in 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 an organization to to be able to connect the dots and not just look at somebody as uh, some sort of a, you know, a, a jumper or a diver or a shooter, but like to say, how do you, how do you look at the fundamental skills and abilities that people have? And that's a big part of, you know, uh, what, what our soft community, you know, their concerns are, is that transition, you know, uh, 
how they transition once they get out, you know, because it, it's a big change and we've all gone through it. And after you've been in the military for a long time, there's that, I, I know everyone has that because there's that unknown, how am I going to fit in the civilian community? And I, I think, uh, you know, what you talk about in the book helps that, I, I think, a great deal. Well, can I share something that's not in the book, Steve? Sure. I think this is for, look, a lot of the audience is not transitioning today or this year. The, um, but this is something to think about for whenever someone is transitioning. It's a matter of identifying the buckets of, of interests that one has. And so on your long runs or for some people, slow walks, um, that's a joke. The, um, you, you think about what's important to you. It's that at the end of the day, there are probably 10 to 15 things that are important to all of us. It's some combination of compensation, geography, quality of life, size of an organization, the sector that an organization is in, the type of role, I don't know, I'm making these up, opportunity for education. And if we listed out maybe three or seven more things, we'd capture mostly everything. I'd encourage people to write down what is what are those those things in front of in front of you that that seem most important to you. And then how do you translate that into a little bit of a you know three to seven sentence elevator pitch on on what you're looking for? What I've seen happen way too often is that people who are getting out here have a bottoms up approach to figuring out what they want to do. Said differently. It's, hey, I, I know a person who has an organization that needs to hire somebody. And so that sounds interesting to me. Well, like, okay, maybe, maybe that's the best thing, but I would highly, highly recommend a simultaneous uh, top-down approach that, that I previously described about thinking about what are the key attributes that you're looking for? You know, you're, it's just like buying or renting a house. We're never gonna get the perfect house but at least we know what we're looking for. And then there will be a couple of things, you know, wrong school district or, or a bedroom too small or has a pool or doesn't have a pool or whatever it is. We're not gonna get the perfect house. And that's gonna be the same way with a job. But if you do the thinking ahead of time about what you want in the abstract, now you've got your map for what you're looking for. And then as opportunities arise, you can take the opportunity in front of you and diff that, take the difference from what's in front of you to your map and then think about, uh, is it something that you want to take off the shelf and put in your shopping cart and, and go and go home with? You know, and, and maybe it's a yes, maybe it's a no, but that's the really important thing is to think ahead about how the fit is. And, it, and it, it takes a little bit of that reflective thinking about what really gives you the energy. What are you really good at? What are those types of things? All great points. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, as a you know young young man joining the navy for the very first time did you ever in your wildest dreams foresee yourself you know uh negotiating a a, a, a treaty from the white house steve there's most of my life that i never would have predicted at age <laughs> 18 or 21 you know i never I never aspired to uh, to really even serve in combat, frankly. I, I what for me the SEALs were just the hardest choice in front of me. I will say, as a freshman at Holy Cross College in 1989, you know, I, I went to a memorial service for a guy named John Connors, who was a Lieutenant JG SEAL killed in Panama, who was a Holy Cross ROTC alum, and I got to see the specialness of a community come together and celebrate uh, John's life. I didn't, I never personally met John. He was 
four, I guess four or five, five-ish years older than I was. But, uh, you know, that made a real big mark on me. And the other thing that made a mark on me was my grandfather, who was at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 41. And he was, he was actually like, like a good uh, Irish Catholic. Uh, he was hung over on Sunday morning, seven, you know, seven junior officers in some bungalow with him. And he, he heard the first wave and said, hey, let's, we got to get in this Jeep and get into, get into work, fellas. Nobody would go with him. He jumped into a Jeep, commandeered it, and he said the scariest thing of Pearl Harbor was actually driving by the Marine Gate Guard at like 40 miles an hour without stopping. He got onto his ship and was manning his battle station for the third wave. And, you know, he was on the USS Maryland, which was partially sunk, and then went to, to flight school, became a, a, um, an aviator, a bomber, flew bombers out of the Aleutians. At age like 25, I think it was, his, um, his commanding officer was shot down and he was running a 40 plane squadron as a, as a commanding officer at age 25 in, in the war. And, and so he had a lot of great lessons. And, and uh, one of them was the statement that said, Mike, don't die for your country, go on living for it. And that stays with me a lot. And, and at Holy Cross, there's a, a real a, a Jesuit education that focuses on the theme of people for others. And it's all about mission. And so whether it's you know, my grandfather or Holy Cross or other, other uh, things in my life, I just feel like the, the need to serve is, is really there. And so the SEAL community was that for me. And then, you know, I, I was, I, like many people wrestled along the way with, do I stay in or do I get out? I, I never said I'll do 20 years in the, in the military. I just kind of every two or three years evaluated the path in front of me. And I, I just kept turning right. I never turned left, you know? And so, and then post 9-11, it was kind of like, if not me, then whom, you know, at, at that point I had eight or nine years of, of service and, and I felt called to to stay in the service, just like all of us do. I'm no different than anybody else. Everybody on everybody who served has has raised their hand and said, "I'm ready to take risk for the nation." And that's the bond that 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 uh, that the people like your your audience understands. Absolutely, and you know when you talk about that, and that you know the uh, the the ability and and not just ability, but the desire to give back. You know, one of the interesting little snippets in your book was when you talked about going to um, the Kennedy School at Harvard and, you know, you went to the recruiters and said, hey, I'm here. And you started working out with some uh, ROTC midshipmen. And one of them ends up being a congressman from Texas. And I thought that was a fascinating part of the book, even just in a small part. But fill our uh, listeners in on that, because I thought that was incredible. Yeah, you know, Steve, it's it's just what everybody knows already. Busy people always mentor. It's it's uh, life can be hard for a lot of us, but you know, when life is hard, a, a a great answer is to go help somebody who's in greater need than we are. And um, and so that theme is something that the soft community really understands is is how to help. And and um and so anyways, yeah, I had a free ride. I I had no reason, I had no need to wear military anything military or do anything military for two years. Like you said, went to the commanding officers of the ROTC units on each side of the Charles River. That's Boston University and um and and uh MIT Harvard. I said and, and, and just said I'll be at the base of the footbridge every Friday morning at six a.m. Whoever whoever wants to join me can. And it's of course started with fifty kids, and then as it got cold, they're a little more mis miserable and. 
as as the discipline needed from President, you know, Washington <laughs> was arose. We the, the group winnowed down, but there was a solid 15 that showed up for my whole two years. And you know, in the beginning, it was great because I just crushed all these, you know, 20, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. But you know, what was really even greater was after like I don't know a month or two they were beating, there was somebody beating me at every single thing. And, and on the one hand, it really sucked, right? This would be, you know, I'm the real seal. I'm an 04 at that point. And, and, and I'm supposed to be in front of everything, but you know, there's always, always one or two that would, that would, um, that would, that would win at everything. I, I didn't win a thing. And I loved that. I hated it. And I loved it at the same time. And so I, there were out of that group, I recommended three of the people to go to seal training. They all, they all were chosen. And sure, I, I remember one day very vividly sitting down with all three of them in my kitchen in Cambridge, Mass. And, and after a really hard workout saying, gentlemen, here's what it means to be a SEAL. And here's what it means to serve here. And it's all about others. And it's about you know, positive, positive influence in people's lives. It's about doing the hard thing. It's about making decisions that are sometimes unpopular. It's about, you know, I could go on and on. But yeah, like you said, one of those three people was Dan Crenshaw, who has become a senator, a, a congressman in in Texas. He's a wonderfully driven human being. Dan and I have shared a connection through the years, and um, and uh, I'm I'm incredibly proud of of him. He also went to the Kennedy School, and um, and, and then like many people had, I, th I think he'd be comfortable talking about this. Kind of wrestled with well, he does in his book uh, Fortitude, another phenomenal book. If you haven't read Fortitude by Dan Crenshaw, I highly recommend it. But uh, anyways, he, you know, what are we going to, what am I going to do? What, which way am I going to go? And threw his hat in the ring and then off has his, his political career has taken off. That's uh, yeah. That was amazing. It's like I said, some of the snippets in your book, when, when you talk about some of the interactions and that you had with different guys and it, it would really strike you on a personal level because, you know, you can tell that you made an impression a lasting impression on some of the people and, and some of the stories are heartbreaking. Uh, you talked about the, the one, he was actually a green beret. His name was Anthony. And, um, you know, you had some interactions with him and he later ended up being killed. And I thought that was really powerful. And then you talked on another level about being intrusive to the point of getting to know your people. And you talked about one of your, uh, Navy SEALs going through, uh, I believe it was free fall training, but at the same time, he had a family issue that needed to get dealt with. And you talked him into it and basically convinced him he was doing the right thing by bowing out because, uh, it was the right thing to do. You said, uh, in the book, I think you'll thank me later for that. And those are the kind of things that I think our, our listeners, our readers would love to check out i don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about uh those two situations well you i i'm glad to and you talked about we talked about the audiobook earlier this is also the kind of thing that you can just pop on your earphones and, and it's probably eight or nine hours of listening and incredibly easy to digest so whether it's the book or the audiobook both of those will be easily digestible um, on, on the last point first, Steve, I just want to hammer one thing home, which is, look, there, I don't take any credit for anything in life. All I do is I sometimes play a little bit of a part in unlocking other people's potential, right? And, and that's like the same thing with Dan Crenshaw. Like Dan's a really special person. He's a metaphor. He's an example of there are, are hundreds of people like him that I've, I've helped along the way. Dan Crenshaw is a special person, irrespective of Mike Hayes' involvement in his life. And so 
Uh, th so the thing is, is as we, how do we help people when we need nothing in return? That's the real question. And that's really what service is, is doing something for people when there's nothing, it, then when, when we don't have a transaction in mind, it's just the underlying right thing to do. And, and that's how I've aspired to live my life. I've done it well many times and I've fallen short many times, but through it all, I've learned. Um, on your, your point about the, the various stories, look, some of those are, are really tough. Like I, I, yeah, I've made decisions that ultimately, uh, you know, could, could have been made, could have done something differently that yielded a different outcome. And I, I, I'll, I'll leave the, the story that you just said about Anthony, who's, by the way, it is a different name. And I, I changed the name of the person, but yeah, that person was in a, a two or three IED strikes, and and ultimately it was my decision whether he he go home or or stay in the stay in the fight, and and, and I won't steal the the story's punchline, but ultimately I, I yielded to uh, to Anthony's strong strong desires. Do I and and he was he ended up again it's a, it's worth the read just from this one little story he ended up being a hero but also um, also was killed in action and um, and that's a tough thing for me sometimes it, it's uh, do I wish I did something differently look I, I would given the information that I had at the time I would make the same decision do I wish the outcome was different absolutely and um, and and again that's just a I've had many of these types of of decisions and situations through life and so I think the most important thing is. When I talk about never enough as the title of this book, it's look, it's important to also understand that we are simultaneously enough. And the the uh, the, the title is intentionally provocative because it we really always can be more excellent and more have more meaning and more impact and more purpose, et cetera. At the same time, we can't beat ourselves up over things that we can't control. And uh, you know that that's part of part of life and and the way we we do that here from here forward, like you said, is, in my view, it is being intrusive in people's lives. It's it's feeling comfortable asking the hard questions. You know, it's it's not popular to say, hey, have you ever thought about harm to self? You know, the number of times I've asked that question since going through a few things that that I've seen, I'm really it's always uncomfortable, but I always I always ask. And, you know, I've I've been really shocked at a couple of people who I never thought have ever had any of those thoughts who have, and it's a real eye opener. And I think it's on this community to help each other. When we talked about the, the Washington quote, just to keep going back to that, look, we're small numbers, right? It's, it is, and especially as we transition out, the circle of, of people that we are around who really understand this community gets smaller and smaller through time. It, it, of course, it's large when we're on active duty because we all have people around, but it depends on who we let in to our own heads and our own hearts. And, and, and that number might, in many cases, is, is way too small. And then there's two ways to fix that. Number one is for all of us to open up our, what we're thinking to others. But number two is, is to also try to help others to open up and, and ask them the questions and, and, and get, get in their heads and say, what are you thinking? And then under, most importantly, understanding what are the outlets for help? And, and how do you go get professionals to solve problems that they are more suited to solve than we are. It's a really important issue for the, for the soft community. Yeah, and uh, that's, you know, uh, we all follow that, I guess that mantra, never enough. And I often wonder if, if sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves because, you know, as you say in the book, I mean, when you stop learning, you stop being a Navy SEAL. And I think that carries to all of our, uh, 
different services and, and units. But sometimes I think we're too hard on ourselves and that never enough attitude. I think a lot of us take it too far. And that's what well, I think sometimes can create problems. Steve, it's the difference between understanding healthy pressure and unhealthy pressure. Healthy pressure is great for us. Unhealthy pressure is not. And so, you know, we, earlier you asked questions about the fundamental training, whether it's BUDS or Ranger School, Q course, uh, et cetera. The, the goal is always to put healthy pressure on the students because, and, and to know the difference. Our goal is to help people grow. Unhealthy, peop, unhealthy pressure, people don't grow, they degrade. And, um, and the question is, under, and we all have different slopes of what, of what kind of uh, pressure we can, can handle. And that's not the same every day or every year of our lives. And so it's just making sure that we also understand as individuals, how do we understand our slope for what we're able to, to handle on any given day or week or year and, and getting that right. I absolutely don't advocate for excessive and unhealthy pressure. Absolutely. And I think that's a good spot for us to uh, finish up. Um, um, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners today about your book or uh, anything else that's um, important to you at this time? Well, Steve, I would just like to close saying thank you to this community. It's an incredible, special community. And, and you know, there are some people in here who this listener group who also have never served, but at the same time, everybody serves. And so the main message I have is while military service is held up as thank you for your service. The truth is it, we all can find different ways to serve and it takes different forms and shapes in our communities and our civil, civil and civic groups that we participate in, et cetera, et cetera. Look, when we're in the military, we often don't have time for anything other than our primary duty. But you know, there are also times through life where we do have extra capacity. And so I just wanna say thank you to everybody for recognizing that service to others is what makes this nation great and, and our communities great. And then the last thing I would say is I really deeply do appreciate support for the book, Never Enough. It's, it's like I said, it's more than a book, it's a mission. I'm really certain that people will enjoy the book. Uh, it, it's, um, I'm tempted to get to, to do some blanket money back guarantee or something that I might get overwhelmed <laughs> by, but, but look, I really do guarantee that it'll be, a, people will find it a good read, but most importantly, Again, most importantly, supporting the awesome cause of soft communities, veterans, and service to the nation. Well, thank you very much for all of that and for your service. I, I encourage all of our listeners and our, our readers out there for SoftRep to check it out. And uh, yeah, buy the audio book. I think that's be a great way if you're going on a road trip to, uh, you know, listen to that while you're while you're traveling down the road. But before we go, I just wanted to uh, share this one public service announcement from uh, SoftRep community. If you want to get SoftRep on your phone, download our free mobile app and get easy access to our articles, podcasts, and gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to SoftRep.com to get access to our library of eBooks and our exclusive team room forms and content available on all your Apple and Android devices. And once again, we want to thank Mike for joining us today. I mean, uh, this was a lot of fun for me, and I'm sure uh, it was interesting to all of our listeners out there. Mike, thank you again for taking the time and sharing your insight with us. Steve, thanks to you, to SoftRep, and the entire Soft community. Appreciate it, and make it a great day. All right.
And with that, we'll we'll be back with another podcast uh, coming up real soon. And we encourage our leaders to keep reading the articles on what's going on in the community. There's always something going on in the world, and we try to keep up with all of it. So for myself, Steve Balshuri, our guest today, um, Mike Hayes, the commander, former commander of SEAL Team 2, we want to thank you all for listening. We'll be back with another episode real soon. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.